0: I want to begin, now that we've dismissed our kids, I want to begin with a children's story. I'll tell you about this book. This is a book that I read to all four of my girls. Maybe the fifth one will get this story as well. Uh, It's called The Little Mouse, The Red Ripe Strawberry, and The Big Hungry Bear. And sometimes, kids' stories are just cute and they're fun, but sometimes, as I'm reading these kids' stories, in a lot of cases, night after night after night after night before bed, I find that there's a deeper meaning here. And some of these children's stories are really quite profound, and I think that this is one of those. So I wanna share this whole book with you. It's a board book, it's not very long. I think you'll enjoy it. But here's the story. The Little Mouse, the Red Ripe Strawberry, and the Big Hungry Bear. Hello, little mouse. What are you doing? Oh, I see. Are you going to pick that red ripe strawberry? But little mouse, haven't you heard about the big hungry bear? Oh, how that bear loves red ripe strawberries. The big hungry bear can smell a red ripe strawberry a mile away, especially one That has just been picked. Boom, 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 the bear will tromp through the forest on his big hungry feet and sniff, 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 find the strawberry no matter where it is hidden or who is guarding it or how it is disguised. Quick, there's only one way in the whole wide world to save a red ripe strawberry from the big hungry bear. Cut it in two, share half with me, and we'll both eat it all up. Yum. Now that's one red ripe strawberry the big hungry bear will never get. So that's the story. The little mouse, the red ripe strawberry, and the big hungry bear. For years, as I read this story to my kids, I kind of just took it at face value. There's this mouse who finds a strawberry, and then the narrator is the mouse's friend. The narrator is trying to help out the mouse and say, oh, but there's this bear, and he'll take your strawberry. So what you need to do is cut it in half, and we'll get rid of it before the bear gets here. And the mouse is so grateful, and I thought, well, that's nice of the narrator, isn't it? He's helping out the little mouse, but I'm I'm embarrassed to admit to you how long it took me to realize this. But eventually, I realized, wait a minute, the narrator is actually tricking the little mouse into giving up this red ripe strawberry that he has found. And the mouse has no idea, because the mouse feels like he has outsmarted the big hungry bear. But it turns out the whole story is a scam and the narrator is not the mouse's friend after all. And if you think about it, there might not even be a big hungry bear in the first place. It's all just a ruse. So, like I said, sometimes these children's stories are profound. They also have layers of depth that you come to appreciate them, uh, appreciate in them as you read them over and over again. And something else occurred to me. Not just that second level, second layer of depth but it finally occurred to me as I was reading this story. The narrator of the story is the big hungry bear. <coughs> right? Man, that's like a, that, that, that's a revelatory moment when you realize that. The big hungry bear has figured out a way to get the little mouse to surrender his red ripe strawberry without a fight. The bear doesn't have to come in and take it by force. He's convinced him that he's going to hand it over to him. And think about the future. Whenever the mouse finds another strawberry, what's he going to do? The exact same thing, because now he has this fear of the big hungry bear. He's going to cut it in half, and he's going to hand it right over. This big hungry bear is very clever. The big hungry bear in this story is a sneaky trickster. And what we're going to find in the section that we'll read in First Peter is that Peter tells us the devil is a sneaky trickster as well. The enemy of God prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But there is good news and good hope for believers. That's what we are going to hear this morning. Once again, this is the, the same verses that we heard our kids present earlier, but it's in a different translation, so the wording is slightly different. First Peter, chapter five, starting in verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's good news. First Peter is not the first place in the Bible that acknowledges the devil's schemes. The devil, or Satan, as he's called in some places, the enemy, the adversary, or my favorite name is the thwarter. Everybody turn to somebody next to you and say, the thwarter. I don't think everybody said it, but uh, that's what the thwarter does. tries to thwart the work of God, tries to disrupt the good things that God is trying to do in his world and in our lives. Here's just a quick overview of some of the schemes of the devil. These are some of the devil's common go-to moves. Satan's devices include tempting us to sin, accusing us before God, and trying to get us to fear our standing before God. The devil opposes God's will in a a multitude of ways, like in in Acts, there's the the sorcerer, tries to turn the proconsul from belief in Christ and just that the devil is involved. His hand is in these different stories that we hear of people's faith being thwarted or confused. Confusing people's minds regarding the truth is one of the devil's schemes. Inciting acts of idolatry and magic and even overtly dominating people to the point of demonization. We see this these stories in the Gospels. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion just Looking for someone to take down. But there is good news. This is not a hopeless venture. Jesus shows us that we are able to resist the temptations of the devil. Think back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was tempted by Satan and he wasn't falling for any of his tricks. And Jesus tells us too that God is more powerful than the devil. Scripture informs us of this James 4 Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. He will run away. Resist the devil, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that God will not tempt you beyond what you can bear, but he will give you a way out when you are tempted. This is good to know, because once you know that there is a big hungry bear who is out there trying to trick you into giving him what he wants, you can develop a better defense strategy. Peter says in the face of suffering and in light of the spiritual attacks that you will face as a Christian, that we are called to be self-controlled and alert. So how alert are you? That's a question that you should ask yourself as we're studying this passage. I want to do just a little demonstration. I asked Justin if he would come up here and uh, be my helper in this demonstration. Uh, This is, Justin, I want you to come up here, stand at the podium. And I want you to play a little game with me. Are you up for it? Does it seem like a trick? Uh, yeah. It probably is. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you need. Okay, I need you to stand there. I have this, this is an orange foam ball. We'll just kind of like face each other, take one step back here. This is a little bit closer. See, so he's doing everything that I ask. Isn't he, isn't he a good helper? So, uh, th- here's a game that we're gonna play, but I'm not gonna tell you the rules of the game. <laughs> I have one point, you have zero. Let's bring the ball back. All right, come on. Oh, thanks, man. Here we go. Okay, stand there once again. Okay, I'll tell you some of the rules now. This time, I'm I'm gonna count to three. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Two points. Two zero points. I am doing great at this game. Okay, you're starting to get the hang of it, right? I'll get you back. Okay, so you, you might know what's coming this time. So, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna How are you gonna get some of your points back? Ready? 3-0. Let's do this one more time. Justin, are you learning your lesson from this game? Okay. You know what's coming this time. Are you going to get hit in the face this time? I'm not going to count to 3. I might tell you I'm counting to 3, but you know what's going to happen because it's already ha- Okay, there's there we go. There's a defensive strategy that might work, but here it comes. Okay, Justin didn't get hit in the face. That's one point. And now I have three points. You're starting to get it. You're starting to know what's coming. And if I keep, keep doing it, oh, okay, There <laughs> we go. So, let's, oh, see, okay, he's picking it up. Everybody clap for Justin. He did a fantastic job demonstrating what I was hoping to demonstrate, and that is we get tricked sometimes. We fall into traps, spiritual traps that are set for us. But if we are sober-minded, if we are self-controlled and we are alert, we'll start to realize, hey, I remember what he did before. He's just gonna keep throwing this ball in my face. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend it. Maybe I'm gonna throw it back. Maybe I'm just gonna go sit back in my seat and never volunteer for anything that Jacob asks again. But that's what we need to do as well. We need to start to recognize what the traps are and be ready for them. I was, uh, I'll tell you a story now that kind of, it makes me look bad, but I'm okay that it makes me look bad because hopefully it will be helpful to you as we're thinking about what kinds of tricks the devil's trying to pull on us. And I'm not, I mean, I, I hate to admit that I fall for them more often than I should. But here's the story. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. It was a while back. And I was ready to start something like a new ministry in the church. And I had it all planned out and I was really excited and I prayed a lot about it. And then the week of, it was like Sunday night, I was sitting at my dinner table with Lisa the kids were all in bed, this was after our, our dinner, but we're, it's just the two of us sitting there. And I start going, man, you know what? You put in all this work, but no one's gonna participate. This isn't gonna matter. It's not gonna work, things like this have been tried before. It's just, it's, it's useless, and I put in all this work, and it's just so frustrating. And I, I kind of was going on and on and on about how hopeless these efforts that I've been making were. And Lisa, my wise wife, she said, hold on a second. Right now, the things you're saying, they don't sound like they're coming from the Holy Spirit. They don't sound like they are of God. They actually sound like they're coming from the enemy. And I had to realize, wow, I think you're right. If there's something that's good that we put work and prayer into, and it's just exciting vision for something that could really bless the church, and then kind of out of nowhere... I'm just, I'm sitting here, and I'm I'm griping, and I'm complaining, and I'm second-guessing myself. I have to wonder, where are those voices coming from? Because like Lisa said, it doesn't sound like the voice of God. It sounds like the voice of the enemy. So, what voices have you been listening to in your life? Take a minute and think about which of these voices are the loudest, which of these voices are the most persuasive, in your life? And like with this game with the ball with Justin, is there a pattern? Is there a trick or a trap that keeps working on you? Something that you fall for over and over again? What voices have you been listening to? Have you been listening to the voices that tell you that you are a failure because you might have failed at something? Those voices are not from God. The voices that say, you are alone and you should be alone, those voices do not come from God. Are you listening to voices that are telling you there is no way out from where you are right now? There is no hope because that voice doesn't come from God either. And if you're listening to a voice that says, you are not loved and you are not lovable, That one certainly does not come from God. And we know that because God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved his world so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice to save us. So don't listen to those voices if you have been. It is a trick. It is a trap. And Peter tells us in this section too that pride is a trap. That's why we have to humble ourselves. He's been talking about that so much in this letter. He tells us that distractions that take our focus off of God are a trap. And not taking your anxieties to God through prayer and by increasing your trust in your relationship with the Lord is also a trap. What voices have you been listening to? What traps have you been falling for? I want you to just take a moment now and reflect and think about it. I don't want anybody to raise their hand and say it out loud because, like I said, it's embarrassing. But I want you to identify at least one and think about that and pray about it. I'll give you about 30 seconds just to reflect in silence. Lord, we lift up the things that you have revealed to us now. And we pray in the words of Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, will you rescue us? Will you save us? Will you equip us and fortify us and help prepare us for future tricks and future traps? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So being self-controlled and alert will help you recognize the common traps of the enemy. Then Peter goes on and encourages Christians to continue to stand firm in their faith with the knowledge that, hey, you are not the only one suffering. And remember when we started 1 Peter, we talked about these Christians who were in Galatia and Pontus and these these like outlying regions where Christianity was new and finding another believer was a hard thing to do. How isolated they must have felt. Peter says, hey, if you're struggling, if it's hard to do church, if it's hard to be faithful, if it's hard to be humble, it's hard for everybody else, too. And if they heard that, I don't know if that would have been discouraging or encouraging. Because you might take it like this. Oh, man, like, Christianity is hard, and I feel like I'm failing at it, and I'm struggling. And then someone writes you a letter and says, like, oh, by the way, it's it's kind of like struggling over there, too. And you go, like, oh, man, like, what did I get myself into? I want to... I want to back a winner. I want something that's guaranteed. But now it sounds like it's having trouble taking off in all places. That might have been the attitude. It might have had that effect. But I think history tells us different. If you look at the times of growth in Christian history, it's often when it was the most marginalized and in the most likely situation to suffer. This letter, this realization and telling people, hey, other folks are struggling, other folks are suffering too, might have had a positive effect and made people realize, man, you know what? This is just tough soil. Maybe it's not just me. It's not just this church. It's not just this city. It's the whole world that is adjusting to this strange and curious new concept that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, that Jesus Christ is alive. And maybe this realization would have encouraged them because they come to this understanding that the devil is just in panic mode because Christ's victory over sin and death is still so fresh. So the devil is trying to pull out all the stops and trying to get one last strawberry before the whole thing is all over for him. That's encouraging. That makes me feel like I can sing victory in Jesus even when I'm not experiencing it in a specific way. And while it's not good that other people are suffering in similar ways, we don't ever want to hear that news if we can have the opposite news, we have to admit that it's a very welcome thing to find a buddy who understands the kind of suffering that we're going through. If you've lost a spouse or someone who is close to you, that's not great. And if you hear that somebody else has and they can relate to it, that's not great either, but it it kind of is a beautiful thing. When someone can connect with you on that level and say, here's what helped me. I'm here for you. I understand what you're going through. If you know somebody who has a medical condition that is totally out of your control, and you've been praying and you've been asking God and saying, Lord, we know exactly what we want to have happen, but we don't know how we're going to get there. It can be very encouraging and comforting for someone else to say, I was in that situation myself. And it turned out great or I was in that situation myself, and it turned out terribly. Either way, it's valuable to connect and to know that we have similarities in our sufferings. So I don't know if it'll make you feel better if I share with you that the more ministers that I talk to these days, the more I'm hearing some of the same patterns, some of the same challenges, and some of the same struggles that we experience here in Livermore. For me, it kind of makes me breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief and go, whew, okay. It's just, it's just this year. It's just this environment that we're living in. It's our circumstances. Things are, are different and things are crazy right now. I have a friend in Texas who told me that he lost 50 people in their church because they didn't start meeting soon enough. They were in lockdown and other churches were opening up and meeting in person. And his leader said, hey, let's, let's be cautious. We have reasons to, to hold off. And it wasn't that they did never opened up. It was just that they didn't open up as soon as some of these other congregations. And people bounced. And they said, that's my church family now. And he was talking about how hard that was for him. I have a California minister friend of mine who said, it feels like every week I hear about some other person that I love and care about saying they're thinking about going to another church. Another local minister said that they might have to close their doors because so many people have just moved out of the area. More people working from home. There's a high cost of living here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then another minister yet said that they're having a hard time finding faithful leaders who will step up and lead in their congregation. We're all identifying things are different. Things are not like they used to be. But we can find encouragement from sharing in those struggles and banding together and saying, Okay, this reminds me a lot of the churches that Peter was writing to. And they stayed faithful, and they stuck it out. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He also tells us to cast our anxieties Lord, knowing that he cares for you. So what, what anxieties do you need to bring before the Lord? What anxieties have you been holding too tightly or too closely and not sharing with the people in your life who love you and not bringing them before the Lord in prayer? That can happen pretty quickly. That can add up and compound quite a bit. I think it's good for believers to share our struggles with one another. And hopefully you do. Hopefully you have people that you can share this with. I think whether it's today or 10 years from today or 10 years ago, there are always reasons to lament. People go through losses. They go through life changes. We go through seasons of discomfort. And I say specifically, now's a great time to bring some of those laments out. And with that in mind, I want to let you know that in two weeks, Our worship service is going to have a lament theme. On August 29th, we are going to have a lament service. We've had lament services here before, and that means we're still going to sing, we're still going to commune, we're still going to study the word and be encouraged by our fellowship together. But we're going to take a page from Israel's history and we're going to say, man, they didn't just sing happy songs, everything's fine, because sometimes everything's not fine. Sometimes we need to be honest and bring our raw feelings together even if they're negative, before the Lord. And so on August 29th, our lament service is going to begin with songs of reflection. And it might be a little more somber than we're used to. In this lament service, you're also going to have an opportunity to share a personal lament. We're going to guide you through the process of writing a lament, and then we'll have the opportunity for us to hear one another's laments. And it might get heavy, and it might get sad. But laments always move from a place of despair and confusion to a place of trust in God a place of praise saying, God, we know that you have this not a naivete that says everything will be fine because that's not always true ultimately we we know our hope is in Christ and God's going to take care of everything but just because we lament doesn't mean that things will get better next week or next year even in spite of that knowledge we are going to say, Lord, I will trust you I will stay with you. You are faithful and I will continue to cling to you. That's what we're gonna do. I wanted to give you a heads up because if you roll in and like, hey, what's up everybody? And then it's dark and a little bit, not what you were expecting. I wanted to give you that heads up. That's in two weeks. And then there's also a fellowship meal that's gonna come after that. This is uh, depending on whether or not the climate allows it, but we are planning to do our lament service And then part of that coming out together and coming into a place of trust and of celebration that Jesus is victorious, we're going to gather together around tables and we're going to eat some hamburgers and hot dogs and we're just going to be the body of Christ together because I think that will be very healing as well. So I want to give you guys a heads up about that. That's coming. And I wanted to encourage you. Uh, This sermon may seem like it's about the devil, but it's not. This sermon is about Jesus Christ who is greater than all powers and all authorities, both in heaven and on earth. He's been given the name above all names, and he sits at the right hand of God, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to live in you. And that is great. (laughs) That is you being alert and self-controlled and equipped for what life will throw at you. Uh, that's pretty much all I got. Let me close out in prayer, and Brett's going to come and lead us in a victory song, and then Jeff will close us out by praying for members of this congregation. Lord God, you are you're the best. You're the greatest. You're the highest. Your name is holy. What we know about you is, is breathtaking. You are marvelous, and you are beautiful. Both in your creation and your grandeur, but also in your closeness and your love for us, the great care that you show to your children. God, we're thankful for that. We pray that we resist anybody or any force that will try to thwart that, that will try to get in the way of the good things that you want to do in restoring your creation, in restoring us in our relationship with you. Pray that you make us strong as a church. And as individuals, pray that you hear our prayers. We pray that we stay on our knees and pray for one another. We pray that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.